0: this edition of Update One, we'll get some background on a major news story of recent months, the nuclear negotiations between President Trump and Kim Jong-un of North Korea. With a former State Department official who was at the negotiating table with the North Koreans during a previous attempt to discourage their nuclear ambitions, he is Joel Witt, who directs a project at the Stimson Center called 38 North, a reference to the 38th parallel of latitude that has divided North and South Korea since the armistice of 1953. I'm Irv Champman, a longtime member of the National Press Club. Joel, to begin with, what is, what is your aim at 38 North? Well, a
1: number of years ago, myself and some friends looking at the public discussion of North Korea thought it was really not well informed. And so what we set about doing was to establish a website and a project where the people who were working on it had firsthand experience dealing with North Koreans and therefore, I think, were much better informed about all the issues involved with North Korea. And that's been the thrust ever
0: since. Well, after the Korean War, North Korea was largely cut off from the outside world economically except for Russia and China. Uh, there was that hut along the dividing line at Panmunjom for military representatives to meet if needed. What, when did the United States reach out to North Korea beyond that limited contact? Well, I think it would surprise a lot of people to know that the first
1: efforts to reach out to North Korea were made by the Reagan administration, which understood that isolating North Korea in and of itself wasn't going to work, and that was because the nuclear program started to emerge then. So the Reagan administration started the initiative. The Bush administration, the first Bush administration, continued the initiative, and then, of course, under President Clinton, the nuclear crisis uh, erupted for the first time, and that's when we accelerated efforts
0: to talk to North Korea. But when you say they initiated a relationship or attempted one, uh, what were these first feelers, and how, how far did they go with Reagan and, and uh, H.W.?
1: Yeah, they... they gathered momentum gradually. So under the Reagan administration, the initiative had the... it was named the Modest Initiative, and that basically was relaxing a travel ban on North Koreans coming to the United States and also beginning some other contacts with them. Under the Bush administration, that accelerated, as I said, And the Bush administration even relaxed um, the ban on the provision of humanitarian assistance to North Korea. And so it allowed humanitarian assistance up to $1.2 billion to North Korea. And then, of course, the Clinton administration had to engage in very detailed discussions because the nuclear crisis erupted. What made it a crisis just at that point in time? Well, what made it a crisis was in March 1993, a couple of months after President Clinton took office, the North Koreans announced that they intended to withdraw from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. In the previous years, they had inched towards becoming a member. And I think as a lot of people know, the treaty essentially bans countries from having nuclear weapons. So the North Koreans were inching towards that, but in March 1993, they announced they were going to withdraw, and that led everyone to believe they were going to build nuclear weapons. So because of that, the Clinton administration felt it had to become more involved. And at what point did you get involved? Uh, I became involved in 1993 when I was at the State Department, and I worked for the gentleman who was the chief negotiator with the North Koreans, and that is Ambassador Robert Colucci, And he remained the chief negotiator for the next year and a half, up until we reached an agreement in
0: 1994. What was it like negotiating with the North Koreans? Did they largely spout propaganda, were they businesslike? did they have the same authority to truly negotiate that uh, the U.S. team did, and how did your experience with the Soviet Union prepare you to deal with the North Koreans? Well, it's very interesting. You know,
1: Americans entering into this negotiation with the North Koreans, and the first session was in June 1993, uh, they were like from another planet. We hadn't dealt with North Koreans before because there hadn't been many contacts with them. And so you were sitting at a table across from a group of North Koreans who all had in their lapel little buttons with pictures of Kim Il-sung. And that, of course, reinforced the American, uh, uh, you know, image of North Koreans as part of a cult. But what we found out as we went through this first round of negotiations with them was that, you know, they were different from others, different from the Soviets, but you could also get used to their, the rhythm of the negotiation. And we also discovered that they were human beings. So they used humor at various junctures to get over tense moments. Their chief negotiator often ended sessions on an upbeat note to keep us going on. And um, they often used coffee breaks, like in other negotiations, to float ideas for compromises. So in many ways, it was very
0: similar to other talks, but in other ways, not similar. Well, you got an agreed framework, so-called, out of the deal. What was agreed?
1: Well, this is the deal we reached in 1994. It was uh, October 1994. It was the first denuclearization deal with the North Koreans. And what was agreed was that the North Koreans would essentially give up the program they had been building for decades to produce fissile material for building bombs, and in this case, it was plutonium. So they had spent billions of dollars to develop this program, and our intelligence estimates were telling us that if it wasn't stopped, they could build up to 100 nuclear weapons by the beginning of the next decade. They agreed to give that up to first freeze it and then dismantle it, and that would have been a long process. And in return, we agreed essentially to give them two new reactors. Now, that might sound a little strange because they had reactors already that were going to produce this material. But the new reactors were not able to produce this bomb-making material. They were just for energy. And they were expensive. They were $5 billion in, a, in the construction project. But nevertheless, that was the core of the agreement. And what happened to it? Well, as you can imagine, after, you know, four decades of hostility between the United States and North Korea, it wasn't easy to all of a sudden change the relationship overnight. So implementation of the deal was difficult, but it moved forward. And so... Today, you can still see, if you have commercial satellite photography, you could still see in North Korea the foundations of the new reactors that we started to build. So it moved forward. The North Koreans did dismantle this plutonium production program, essentially dismantled it. The problem was that as we were moving forward near the end of the Clinton administration, we discovered that North Korea was starting to cheat on the agreement. And by that I mean, uh, just to take a step back, this may be a little technical, but there are two ways to build nuclear bombs. One is to use plutonium. Another is to use highly enriched uranium. We found that they were starting to explore producing highly enriched uranium The Clinton administration was moving to deal with that, but Al Gore lost the election. So the Bush administration took over and really didn't do anything for a couple of years to stop that program. And as a result, by the time it started moving, the program had grown, and the Bush administration thought it could just confront the North Koreans with their cheating and have them capitulate. And, of course, anyone who's dealt with North Koreans understands that's not going to work. So the North Koreans withdrew from the agreed framework.
0: So, in other words, had the Bush administration, you think, consulted at length with people who had dealt with North Korea before, we might have been saved uh, an awful lot of trouble.
1: Well, that's certainly true. And as everyone knows, the Bush administration entered office with this idea that we don't deal with countries like North Korea – Iraq, other rogue states, the access of evil. Evil. We don't negotiate with evil. And so they didn't consult with anyone. And moreover, they underestimated how the North Koreans would react to being confronted and with their demands to stop cheating. And the North Koreans caught us flat-footed because the Bush administration had no plan for dealing with the possibility that the North Koreans would withdraw from the agreement.
0: What has been the trajectory of what the North Koreans have done since that? What we see since that
1: happened, which is 2002, um, for the first seven years, which was the remainder of the Bush administration, what we see is a slow motion moving forward by the North Koreans to reconstitute their nuclear program that included the first nuclear test by North Korea in 2006. Interestingly enough, by the second term of the Bush administration, they realized they had made a mistake and started negotiating with the North Koreans to reach an agreement that would have essentially been like what the agreed framework had done. Those negotiations made some progress during the second term of the Bush administration, but as often happens, events that are unanticipated take hold. And so in 2008, Kim Jong-il, the father of the current North Korean leader, had a stroke, and North Korea turned inward and was looking towards the transition to when Kim Jong-il died. And because of that, it was very hard to talk to the North Koreans, and they were more focused on strengthening their own internal situation and strengthening their defenses. And the nuclear program moved forward, and North Korea's missile program moved forward. And then came eight years of Obama? Eight years of Obama, which was the first Kim Jong-il died at the end of 2011, the first three years of the Obama administration, Kim Jong-un took over. And during that time period, the nuclear program, the missile program accelerated to the point where at the end of the Obama administration, it became an existential threat to the United States. North Korea could attack American cities. The Obama administration tried to deal with that, and we could get into the details, but in fact, by the end of the administration, it had failed. North Korea moved to the top of the foreign policy agenda, and during the transition, President Obama met President Trump once in the Oval Office and basically told President Trump, this is the number
0: one problem you will face. Mm-hmm. It's been suggested the example of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya who agreed to nuclear disarmament and wound up dead preys on Kim Jong-un's mind. What is your take on that?
1: I think that's to some degree true. But what I would say is the North Koreans understand all this history. They understand what Gaddafi did. You know, they don't think highly. They never thought highly of Gaddafi. They thought he was crazy. And they're not that crazy. So what the North Koreans are trying to do now is move down that road, and they might or might not eventually give up their weapons. But as they move down that road, what they're trying to do is transform the hostile relationship between the United States and North Korea. So if you're looking into the future and you're a North Korean, thinking about gee, someday I may get to the point where I give up my nuclear weapons. You're only going to get there if the United States and North Korea have a very different political relationship, something very different from
0: hostility. So bottom line, does the world have to accept that North Korea has joined the nuclear ranks, period? Uh, you seem to think that there's a chance that they will withdraw under the right circumstances. You know, I people
1: always ask me, are you realistic? I mean, are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic about whether they're giving up they'll give up their nuclear weapons? And what I say is they're I'm realistic. If there's a chance, we should explore whether it's possible,
0: understanding that it may not work. But you say they're out for a new relationship with the United States. That certainly appears to be Donald Trump's goal, to have a buddy buddy relationship, uh an economic relationship, uh, an investment relationship. Uh, but do the North Koreans think in economic development terms?
1: Oh, well, the new relationship, according to the North Koreans, if a North Korean was sitting here on the other side of the table, and I've sat there listening listened to them many times, what they would say is <clears throat> a new relationship means a new political relationship, a new security relationship, and a new economic relationship. So what does that mean? Political relationship means we have to recognize North Korea. We have to establish diplomatic relations. We don't have those. That's number one. Secondly, security relationship means we have to end the Korean War. The Korean War has only been temporarily ended. So what they want is a peace treaty to end the Korean War, And third, economic relationship does mean lifting the sanctions and maybe the provision of some economic assistance, but they're not looking to the United States to be their funder. They can find money in other places.
0: That doesn't seem to be an impossible agenda, but the question is who does what first?
1: It's not an impossible agenda. It's a complicated agenda that can take a long time to realize, you know, reaching a peace treaty isn't something you do overnight. It could take a number of years. So it's a long agenda, and it's complicated. And one of the issues is, of course, as you mentioned, who goes first? And the solution is no one goes first. We do it in phases during which we both go. We do it, you know, not... Not exactly the same minute, but within a phase of negotiations, a phase of the agreement, we both take steps. That's how it should work, ideally.
0: The first step for the North Koreans apparently was supposed to be to inventory what they have, and they haven't done it. Well, that's not the first step.
1: I mean, a lot of experts will say that's what they should do up front. But anyone who knows something about nuclear issues will tell you, That's not what they should do. What is? What should happen up front is that we should start a process of gradually dismantling, freezing and dismantling parts of their nuclear program. And as you move down the road through each phase, that process gathers momentum. From the North Korean side of things, what we should do What they want us to do is gradually lift sanctions, um, start moving down the road to a
0: peace treaty, and maybe also move down the road
1: to diplomatic
0: relations. Well, it's a long road, as you say, and barely the first steps have been taken, if indeed they have. Um, So with that, we'll conclude this edition of Update 1 with some background on the major news story of recent months, the nuclear negotiations with North Korea, with former State Department official Joel Witt. I'm a Chapman of the National Press Club in Washington. Thanks very much. Thank you. Update 1 is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast, that's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.